I I did not, and I kind of did want to actually mention that when this movie, when I first heard about this movie, I thought it was about the X Men superhero Nightcrawler, and I was very surprised. <laughs> I was very surprised that it was not. Hey guys, this is Alon, and this is David, and welcome to I finally watched, and today I finally watched Nightcrawler. So I saw this movie when it first came out in theaters uh, with my girlfriend, and I loved it i'm actually kind of sad i don't see a lot of like really good movies coming out um from bold films which is the production company for this uh movie because this movie and one other movie i saw i can't remember the name right now but um they were like banging out some really awesome movies and uh i love this one i i love this one as as a character piece i think it really dived in uh to a really interesting psychology of this character uh who what's his name lewis remind me again david bloom bloom that's right lou lou bloom uh played by jake gyllenhaal Uh, i really like this movie i I thought it was just like kind of interesting you didn't quite know where it was gonna go um until you kind of did but yeah what, what did you think of this movie so these type of movies are kind of hard for me to watch. And what I mean is to have a, a main character who is not just unlikable, but just so socially inept. And that's kind of what you see from him in the beginning, that this guy just doesn't really understand how to act in society. But I think as the movie progresses, that your your view of him quickly changes on that. But as and as the movie progressed, I just got more and more into it, more and more kind of tensed up. It's a very it's it's a very intense movie, and um, I really liked it. I think it's Joan Hall is like a, probably one of the most interesting actors to me right now, like of his generation just because he does such odd different parts. And it was kind of starting around this time when he started doing things like that. This is Mm -hmm. kind of a main example of that. But then you have um, Enemy around the same time, Prisoners that came out right before this. Then you have Okja. Like the character he plays in Okja is so weird. Right. Um, Nocturnal Animals, which I haven't seen. But so this movie is driven by by him and uh i think it's great yeah i you know you say he's unlikable but i wasn't really finding myself rooting against him in a weird way i kind of wanted him to okay not that i wanted him to like complete his goals but the way he was going about doing things were so interesting to me that i just wanted to keep seeing him do things uh like i guess like a small example and we'll get into the bigger stuff later but a small example is you know he sees a really expensive bike so he steals the bike and then he goes to try to um sell it and just the way he's selling it to the to the pawn shop owner is just hilarious to me it's like it really shows kind of like what a skeezy guy he is but also he's one of those types that's like, he has no idea what he's talking about, but he sounds super smart doing it. 
Well, and I think that changes over the movie too, him not sounding like he doesn't know what he's talking about and then does. I, from the, from the beginning of the movie, the first scene is him stealing something, you know, stealing these metal parts and then beating up a security guard and stealing his watch. And you don't even know what he ends up doing to that security guard, which, which I think is, is smart because it sets out from the beginning that this is not a good character. Like you're not watching someone who you should be rooting for, but then you're, you're right. Like the whole time I'm kind of wanting him to, you know, he's, he's doing these like high speed chases and he's ha- entering these like very awkward conversations. And I am sort of like hoping things work out for him. One, just so it doesn't continue to be so awkward, but then two, also just because I think it's, it's so much more interesting to see things work out for him, I guess. Right. Um, but I think, and, and especially like at this time, a lot of, and I, I don't think they did this specifically because Hall was the lead, but like a lot of his parts previous to this, he's like the good guy, like clearly like the protagonist, the guy you're rooting for. Mm-hmm. And so I think the opening scene of him beating up that security guard is smart in that it like sets out right away. Like this is like a different part for this guy. And then this is a different movie altogether because the main character is not someone you like. Well, what's even like really interesting as the movie develops is usually if you're introduced to a character that is introduced in a scene, like where he beats up the security guard and he's unlikable, the character growth from that, usually happens where by the end of the movie he becomes someone that the audience can like that they can relate to and that just does not happen with this movie he stays other things change about him for sure but as far as like him being becoming a good guy you you don't get that well no and what what i what I think of his development throughout the movie is not him becoming a good guy, but I think we get a clearer picture of who he is because in the, in the beginning, he, you know, he's trying to sell that bike and he sounds like an idiot. Like, though, this is a 37 gear bike. He's trying to get a job from the guy who he's selling stolen goods to, which I like how the guy's like, I'm not hiring a thief. And it's like, well, you're, you're buying stolen goods. So like, you know, don't take the high ground there, but you know, things don't work out for him. And then as you see, I think the the real tipping point for me, and we'll get into it later, is the the dinner with Rene Russo. Mm-hmm. That's when you kind of see him more as less of this kind of like bumbling, socially awkward loser and more of this like evil... Mastermind? A little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, a lot of, it's a lot of luck that things work out for him, but a little bit of just like his plan, like kind of coming to fruition. So that, um, I think that development is what makes the movie so interesting. And like the final scene, which we'll get into later, is so impactful. Well, one thing that, you know, as the audience, you kind of have to look up to the, to Lou Bloom for is he's very persistent. He's very, um, what's the word like motivated in putting in the work, I guess you would say, you know, he, he's anything but lazy and he definitely is one of those type of guys that I, I don't know is cause 
you're introduced to him in such an awkward part of his life. You know, he, he lives alone in like a small one bedroom apartment. He has one couch, a TV and a potted plant. And that's kind of all, all you see him uh, being around. And what's even more awkward, it's when he's not doing the news stuff, he's like watering his plant or ironing his shirt. Like you have to assume that, I guess you would have to assume that like most early 30, mid 30 lonely guys spend their time like this, I guess. I I mean, on top of the fact that he's socially awkward, so you won't see him at restaurants or bars or parties, but he's just this kind of like this very creepy dude um, who has these tendencies that kind of like what he ends up doing, which is um, videoing crime scenes essentially or accidents um, kind of feeds into his psychosis of just (laughs) being more and more creepy. Right. And that also kind of plays into one of the, you know, his, his job that he goes forward with in the movie of, of filming these crime scenes or, or traffic accidents, things like that. Um, the, the theme of like the news having to be more and more salacious. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Rene Russo's character uh, kind of describes that, like when she, when Lou Bloom, like, gives in his first piece and she's like, that's not really what we want. We'll use it, but you know, you need to bring us better stuff. And she explains that if you want to get like a perfect encapsulation of what we want to air, it's like a woman running down the road screaming with her throat slit. Like that's what, that's what sells. Um, And and, and he takes it quite literally, I think. Right. Her character. And by the way, um, the, the uh, production company bold that you were talking about earlier they did drive and only god forgives okay yeah so okay drive is is the other one i was thinking of and renee russo's character reminds me so much of Kristen scott thomas ryan gosling's mother in only god forgives yeah the way the way she's made up the way she talks like just not exactly like the the mannerisms but just like her her attitude towards the world her callousness like I, I don't think there's any like connection there or anything, obviously, but just like that was like striking to me, like how the vibes I was getting from that character. What's so amazing is by the end of the movie, you, you kind of, and you get this before that too, but she's just as insane as he is, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and they, they essentially want the same thing. And the, the he's obviously, they make him out to be worse. Um, because without, you know, exactly saying it, I mean, I guess you can kind of say they didn't exactly say it, but they definitely, uh, like, scattered some sexual abuse through Lou Bloom's character towards her character. Um, it's, not, it's not scattered. I think, I think they did a good job of, like, I mean, you can't, there's no good way to, like, show that. Like they couldn't have had a scene with it in there because it just that wouldn't have worked. But the and this is get jumping a little bit ahead, but the scene where he describes like that they're you know having relations and like what's going to happen from here on out with that is like obviously off-putting, but also just kind of like 
one of the pivotal scenes in the in the movie and yeah that that part like it, the, the dinner scene where that where you sort of get the vibe of like that's what he's wanting from her but um, i'm not i'm not talking about the dinner scene i'm talking about when they're back in the news room which happened after which happens afterwards and why are we jumping ahead so far into the movie no but that's what you're talking i'm just making sure we're on the same page that's what you're talking about too where he's like oh i want to sell this for thirty thousand. And then as they negotiate, it just gets worse. No, right, right. No, yeah, that is exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, okay. But but, but there's like a slow burn to get to that point. Um, and I think the before we get to that part, the, the relationship between um, Lou Bloom and Bill Paxton's character and mm -hmm. how he's kind of trying to sell him on joining his team. And, and I, I really like the way... Uh, the, the buildup of, you know, they have, they have to have a montage to save, save time, but the buildup of Lou Bloom's character driving in a, in a shitty car with, with Rick, um, and then uh, him getting into a nicer car. I really like the way he catalogs all the videos that he's done and like, just kind of looks at them over and over again. Yeah. Just like, like he's almost, it's almost like a serial killer with like the totems that they've collected from their murders. You know what I mean? Like he didn't commit these crimes, but they're just like these things that he likes to go back to and like look at and like keep them very precise. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I actually really like this montage. It's a little like it comes in quite abruptly, but it's already such kind of a fast pace, um, uh, soundtrack to it that you know you get used to it quite quickly that's another thing i want to talk about is the music um i don't think that at times the music quite fits what's happening uh, what's happening most of the time is quite dark and and insidious but the music is very this like kind of this like light dreamy kind of um soundtrack to it and it's it's off-putting in the way that it's like, it doesn't quite fit quite, but it does. And I don't like it. I think it fits in that we're being sort of put into the mind space of Lou Bloom. Uh -huh. And this is just like that music kind of fits with the way he's seeing this reality of like, things are just going well for him and like he's excelling. And so I think, from that aspect it works and like the juxtaposition works for the audience as well because like the whole movie is supposed to give you the, a very like tense on the edge of your seat like not good vibe and right. i think it does that yeah i mean the music is nice but it's it's very off-putting and yeah for for exactly the reason you just said um now this now this reminds me, and I want to just talk about this for a little bit, and we talked before, but this isn't a movie you've seen, but um, 15 Minutes is a movie that stars Robert De Niro and Ed Burns, and I was looking this up last night because I loved it as a kid, but apparently um, the rest of the world didn't agree oh, with me. Okay. Um, but the basic premise is these two, like, Eastern European bad dudes who have just come to America decide that they want to be famous and that the way they want to be famous is by filming their crimes. And the way I, I kind of relates to me at least is like you have Kelsey Grammer who's playing like this news, um, the, this guy that like runs a, uh, 
basically a, a news channel and he's getting in these tapes and he's having to decide whether or not to film them and like the cops are telling him not to and he's like deciding to do it and it's just like it's talking about how like the way like this our society is moving towards like putting more and mo more salacious things online just to drive up ratings and right. like that's totally like the theme of this movie about you, you have the themes of like Lou Bloom, the, the main character and his, I don't know if he's on the spectrum or originally that's what I thought they were going for in the, in the beginning of the movie. But then towards the end, I just think he's kind of psychopathic, um, psychotic, not psychotic, but just he doesn't have empathy. He doesn't understand, you know, normal human beings. But, but the other part of the movie is just the, the fact that, these these local news channels and national news channels aren't trying to like report to you the most important thing that you need to know they're trying to report the things that'll drive up their ratings and well i mean it's basically like you know on youtube you have clickbait right and that's kind of what it's come to it's like and do you really need to know this information or all these details no not really but it was know. a triple murder last night and we can talk to you about that. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, I, I, even at one point where it's like, oh, we don't care about the identity of these people or where they live or anything like that. We're just going to like sell you on the gore of the story. Even hammering the point even more towards the end of the movie when the producer of the new show finds out that it was a drug thing and Renee's character decided not to reveal that because... I guess the high-speed chase with the guy who did the homicide was much more sellable than, oh, it was a, another drug thing, same old, same old. You know, I guess, like, if it was, like, a cartel murder, that's not as newsworthy as if it was actually three innocent, rich white folk, you know? Right. Well, and also that they kind of talk about and allude several times to the fact that the, the way they can get people to keep watching is to make it something that could affect you. You know, this rich white neighborhood had a triple homicide in it that could happen anywhere. And that's like how they get people to watch. And mentioning that it's a drug killing kind of eliminates like the public panic from like, Oh, it could happen to you, but only if you're carrying like, you know, 50 pounds of meth in your house or whatever it was. Um, right. I want to dive into the kind of his, uh, I'm not going to say homicidal tendencies, but Lou Bloom's psychosis definitely starts breaking and, and escalating more and more to the movie. And I think the big first jump is when he's moving that body from the right. car accident to like get a better angle at it. Yeah, and it's one of those things that's like, yeah, to me, that was the tipping point. And I think that's probably the tipping point to anyone that watches this movie. <laughs> but you could, you, could, you could argue if you're arguing on his behalf, like, oh, you know, he didn't, he didn't do anything like, that actually caused harm. He's trying to get a better video and he's, you know, he's not socially capable enough to understand that he's just really not supposed to be doing that. Um, but that is when you see him do that, you're like, all right, well, here's the turn. Here's where, you know, I was, I had no idea what direction this movie was going to go in because I had only watched a few minutes of the beginning and I kind of knew what the, it was about, but that was the point where I know I knew like 
you're heading in a certain direction after that. Right. And that's kind of what I meant by, you know, in the beginning of this um, podcast, I said, you kind of don't know until you do. And I think at that moment, the audience becomes aware of what kind of movie this is. Um, and then of course the second like phase of escalation is when he comes upon the murder house. Well, no, I don't think so. You don't think so. I think the second point and like the real, I was just kind of, you know, I take notes for when we're going to talk about this, but after moving the body and then he goes to talk to Rene Russo and she's like, Oh, you have blood on your shirt. And he's like, Oh, I didn't even notice. And then he asks her to dinner. That whole dinner scene, I was just typing to myself, like, what is going on? Why did she go to dinner? Oh my God. I can't believe he's saying like, because at that point he just lays it all out on the line for her that, Hey, I've been bringing you good stuff. You're going to sleep with me or I'm going to stop bringing you good stuff. And also I've been looking at your history. You've never stayed anywhere more than two years because you can't keep a job, but the stuff I bring you can keep your job. So you're going to sleep with me. And like, that's the point where I was like, Oh, he's evil. Yeah, he says this one line during that scene where it's like, she says, she says, oh, you, you want to sleep with me? And then he's like, well, yeah, but I also want to be your friend. And then she like kind of sees an escape out of this, right? So she goes, oh, but Lou, friends don't force you to sleep with them. And then Lou, like without skipping a beat, he goes, um, yeah, but but the something like the best reward you give to yourself or something like that. It was just it was just, it was crazy. Um but I think it what it what he meant by that was like yeah, but like anything in life you just have to do it nothing is going to just be handed to you, right? Right. Um and he's like, you know, I'm going to work for our quote-unquote friendship but that's also going to get me laid like tough, tough luck, I guess. And I, it was just insane. I, I, I can see what you mean, but I think he always teeters on the line of like, okay, he didn't kill anyone. He didn't technically threaten her job, but there's enough innuendo and there's enough closeness of him being in the wrong place at the wrong time, or I guess in the right place at the right time, that it's like, well, he might not be a murderer, but he's, he's not a good guy. No, absolutely. Um, and I think that, that scene kind of accentuates it. And then right after that, I, I think the, 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 the movie tries to trick you a little bit because right after he's sort of given her this ultimatum of, I'm gonna bring you good stuff, and you're going to sleep with me, he like misses out on like a pretty, it was like a plane crash. Right. And Bill Paxton's character got to it first. And then he, you know, takes to her some other stuff. And she's like, everyone is leading with the plane crash. And you brought me like bullshit. Like you promised me and like, you can't deliver. And then you have kind of that pivotal, like moment where he screams into the mirror. And like, I've seen that, gifts so many times <laughs> but i think the next part the next point where you kind of are like all right he's at no return you see him 
going underneath Bill Paxton's van and messing with it. Right. And I just assumed he's trying to make it kind of inoperable. So he's going to have to fix it and he can't go out that night or whatever. Um, until uh, Rick, his, his partner is like, why aren't we going to the rape at the park? Like, why are we going to this other place? And then you pull up and it's Bill Paxton's van. And the, the camera work of seeing Bill Paxton's view, looking up at the camera and just panning down to Jake Gyllenhaal's dead face, just staring at him, just like, and then kind of the recognition of Jake Gyllenhaal is like, yep, I'm the one that killed you. Um, that part, that part was haunting and like just really well done. Um, I, for such a small role, I have to give it to Bill Paxton for just like blowing it out of the water. I know on here, we usually like give a lot of, uh, credit to minor characters or side characters um but let's keep doing it for uh, for bill paxton here because he he really rocked it for like a sleazy news guy kind of reminded me of twister a bit um just kind of kind of that like that thrill chasing thing and i just thought it was a cool role for him was do you know if this was his last role before he passed away no but it was it was towards the end of his career in one of his, his last movies he had done yeah, I I mean, yeah, I I can see that. But he was he was so good in it and uh yeah, that that scene where he just kind of takes out the competition uh man, that's one of the turning points. I'm I, I kind of forget tell me why he was exactly at the murder house again before anything happened. Like what drew him there? He got lucky. That was just he was in the area and it got called he was five blocks away, as Rick says, when the call went out based on the alarm going off. Oh. So that was, that was just coincidental. Um, wow. And I do think what I find most interesting about the murder house scene is because I don't even think at that point him going in there and filming everything is like the worst thing he had done. Because he, you know, he killed Bill Paxton, basically. <laughs> and he extorted Rene Russo for sex. So, but that whole scene, you know, he's a horrible fucking person. And that whole time he's in the house, I'm just like, don't get caught. Don't get caught. Get out of there. Come on. You've gotten enough. What are you doing? Get out of there. Get out of there. Like, cause I just, I don't know why, like we were talking about it earlier, but I don't know why we're rooting for him to not get caught. And I'm just like, dude, you've taken way too long. And then uh, Rick runs up to the house. I was like, what are you doing, Rick? <laughs> Get the, you're supposed to stay in the car and like it's not a scene where you expect comedy but when when uh lou bloom is talking to rick and teaching him as they're running down the driveway it's like no you gotta take some initiative like you should have come in the house and backed me up like <laughs> yeah yeah it's crazy because like like you said it's not it's not supposed to be a comedy by any means but just his sheer social awkwardness mixed with rick's like naivety it kind of has like these comedy points to it. Um, I think you're right. I think this, this murder house scene wasn't the worst he's done and nor do I think that the filmmakers were trying to say, okay, this is an escalation, but I definitely think that this is a um, predecent to the, what is it? The Chinese restaurant. I think the buildup from that because he went from being a bystander who was like at the right place at the right time to calling in the murderers to the police 
and escalating it to a point where, well, of course there's going to be a shootout. Yeah, and I think the whole buildup to that, especially after he kind of messes with the tape so it doesn't show who the murderers are, uh, from then on until he kind of explains to Rick what he's doing, um, I was like, I don't get, what is his end game here? And then when he explains that, I was like, that's actually really kind of, from the from the screenwriting part, really smart, like a really smart way to like continue this story. Um, but it's just like, I can't think like an insane person. So I like had no idea what his plan was. Um, what, do, what do you mean his plan? Break it down for me. What are you talking about? Well, his plan was he didn't want to reveal who these bad guys were now because then there'd just be a manhunt and he'd have no way to film it. So he waited till he could find where these guys live. He looked up the, uh, the, driver, the license plate of the SUV went to that guy's house and then staked it out. And as he's explaining to Rick, we're going to follow this guy until he gets to a more public place that's better for filming. And so at that point, you understand like, oh, he, he already sold this one tape for 15 grand, but he's not done. He knows that he can sell another one and kind of spin this out to more and more stories. And as he explains to Rene Russo um, in that newsroom scene, which we kind of, we talked about earlier, but we glossed over now, but like, you know, he's, he's explains to her that, you know, when I give you this, this is going to lead to more and more stories. There's going to be follow-ups. There's going to be a police investigation. And this is, you're going to have this exclusive footage. So when everyone tunes in, because they want to know about this thing, they're going to come to you. And like, that's why he wants to get his news organization out, which is like video production news, which is like the most like, boring lame like description of what you do but it was right. really funny well it kind of um, shows it's interesting because he's very business minded and as he mentions he he took a couple of business courses online but you could see his severe lack of uh creativity in creating vpn oh it's vpn anyways uh, yeah but uh, another thing is is that when When I first saw this in theaters, I had a very good guess of what was going to happen to Rick. Did you see that coming for that character? When Rick starts asking for more money after they've already renegotiated because Lewis has told him his plan, I know that it has to, if if Lewis is going to kind of win at the end, that he that Rick is going to have to probably die. Um, and I want to say that Rick, played by Riz Ahmed, who um, is in this movie Four Lions, that's like a dark comedy about terrorists that is really inappropriately funny that I really like. Um, he's, he's great in this, and he's great in a ton of stuff. But he is, he is so good in this, is just playing like this kind of loser character, but who's kind of gaining his voice and realizing like how crazy his boss is and like the the part at the end when Lewis tells him fine you can have 50% and he just tells Lewis like you need to learn how to treat people like you don't know how to treat people like he's he's really great in this and so I think at the point of him you know doing that power play as Lewis calls it you know that something bad's probably going to happen to him 
Yeah, and it's really kind of unfortunate too because, like you said, he does finally stand up for himself and does find a voice and has that character development just to be kind of shot down, <laughs> literally. Um, yeah, and and that's just kind of just all in all shows kind of a evil genius that Lou is because he he can almost like without being very socially aware himself, but he can kind of tell what people are going to do out of a basic instinct. Uh, so he knows like, okay, the guy is desperate. He has a gun, you know, he's going to shoot the first person he sees. So he's going to plant Rick in front of him. And then um, even when you think he's going to get his comeuppets, um, when he gets caught by the cops uh, for the uh, interview, it's not an interview when it's the cops. What is it? An interrogation. Interrogation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. So you think he's finally going to get caught when he's called in for an interrogation by that woman detective. Um, but he he doesn't. He, he sees ahead and he figures out how to cover his tracks. And he's just kind of like, you get that he's way smarter than he leads on. Well, in the... I was never really concerned that he was going to get tripped up by the female detective. I think that whole scene was just kind of to one last time nail in like that. He is, you know, a sociopath, psychopath, whatever you want to call it. Um, because the, the police, there's no evidence they'll have on him. Right. That This was his master plan. Um, right. There's, they're kind of going to be incapable of, of, coming up with a story that explains what he did. Cause as I was saying earlier, it was hard for me to predict what a crazy person was thinking and planning out. It's equally hard for the police to, the only way he could get tripped up is if he told on himself, you know? Right. Um, and I also like how in this scene really reminded me of 15 minutes, but how the, the detectives come into the newsroom um, when Lewis Bloom brings in the, the film from the final night of the uh the police shootout with the two bad guys in the car chase and they're like you have to give us that footage and this is like the full development of renee's russo's character because in the beginning you kind of you feel bad for her a little bit and you especially the scene where she pays fifteen thousand for the initial uh triple homicide in the house like some of some of Gyllenhaal's best work in the movie is in that monologue explaining like what's going to happen from here on out. I'm not going to negotiate with any you anymore. When I tell you my lowest number, you're going to know that's my lowest number. And then when he says, and when we're alone in your apartment, you're going to do the things I ask you to and not like last time. Like that scene is so creepy. Um, it's so well done by him. But I think like from that point on, like you feel bad for her and then in the end, when she gets this, like, these two great stories and, like, film pieces, like, you can, like, in her eye, the way she looks at Lewis is, like, she's in love. Like, she's on this high with him. And the way she argues with the cops and says, like, unless you have, unless you have a judge's order saying that I have to hand this over to you, this is going on the air in four minutes and you can watch it with everyone else. Like, that's just, like, this heel turn for her and, like, she is so great in this movie. You know, we talked about the other characters, but she is like 
just such an amazing job with that character. You know, when I first saw this movie, it I went into it completely blind, which is kind of how I really like going into movies sometimes, um, especially these like niche little movies. But what this movie is, is really just one big slow burn to the climax at the end, um, which I think is just like, yeah, the, the shootout in the restaurant is great, but I think my favorite part has to be that, that car chase. Yeah, I mean, because like you said, the whole movie is sort of a slow burn with these sort of like intense on the edge of your seat parts. And even, you know, when Lou Bloom and Rick follow these two criminals to the restaurant that they're eating at, it's still a slow burn of like two cops walk in and then these two other cops are walking and Lou's like, all right, go down to the edge of the block so we can get two views. And you're this whole time like, they're in this like really conspicuous red car and like how are these bad guys not noticing that these two dudes have been following them all over LA. Right. But when those other two cops come in, it's just like a light switch and then action. And like that whole scene from like the shootout in the restaurant to Rick jumping in the car, them chasing along with the cops and the whole time, like as you're rooting for, you know, you can't figure out why you're rooting for Gyllenhaal, but like one of the cop cars gets knocked out. And I'm like, Oh my God, this, like I this criminal can't get away. And then like another cop car comes on and then that one crashes. But then you finally, the, like the, the way that is filmed, like the one cop car getting taken out, but then immediately the SUV hitting something and flipping like was, I'm just gonna say so cool. <laughs> and then they're not even done though, because when Gyllenhaal gets out and sees the inside of the truck and then tells Rick to come film it. And there's just like an instant of like, I don't know about you, but an instant of realization for me of like, Oh my God, no. As he backs up to film him get shot. Yeah. And then you just see Rick come out and get shot. My only gripe with that scene is I wish Rick didn't talk with Lou. I didn't really like that part. I wish he had just kind of similarly to the Bill Paxton just kind of looked up to him as he was dying yeah. And just dead face Joan Hall filming him. I know it would have been the same as the other scene, but the, the communication between him and them where Joan Hall's just explaining, well, you tried to pull a power plant on me. I, I couldn't let that happen. Like, I didn't like that as much, but like, doesn't take away at all from like, just an amazing ending and a great movie. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Um, I, I don't think that conversation was necessarily necessary, but one of my favorite shots from that whole scene is after Rick got shot and he's lying down and the, I, I don't know his name, I guess we'll just call him the bad guy. Um, the bad guy comes out of the truck and you hear the sirens coming closer from the distance. And Lou, it has his camcorder out and he's kind of like peeking out from behind the cop car wreckage and him and the bad guy uh, make eye contact it was just this great shot that and where I think the title of the movie just really clicked um, Nightcrawler because he was just kind of like like an animal just like peeking out over the wreckage in and the shadows in the shadows and it was just lit so beautifully and and uh, it was one of my favorite shots in the whole in the whole film um, well, I do, that and the fact that he's just staring down this dude that just shot Rick, but 
it, it, it just goes to sort of his, like, his whole mind of, you know, it, it almost he didn't care if he got killed because he was just so focused on his goal. Yeah, but it's almost like like two apex predators facing off. Like, I, you know, the, the one guy physically murders people, and but then Jake Gyllenhaal's character is a villain in his own right. And it, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's really one of my favorite shots. Um, I, I do want to talk a little bit about how when we as the audience view things, because, you, you know, you, you said that at certain points in the movie, you're really rooting for Lou Bloom, even though you know he's, a, he's not a good guy. He's um, basically a sexual abuser, an extortionist. Uh, yeah. A murderer at the end. Um, basically a secondhand murderer at the end. But you're rooting for him. And I think, and I think what the movie does so well is that when you're viewing um, the brutality and the gore of the accidents and the murder, especially when the cops get shot at in the restaurant, you're viewing it from such a, a far distance through almost like the eye of a, the lens of a camera, kind of like he's doing it. And it really removes yourself um, as the audience to like, I don't care about this cop. I don't care about this guy. I don't care if they get shot because I've been with the, the main character the entire movie. Screw everyone else. You know, I really want this guy. And it, it's just like, does such a beautiful job in kind of manipu manipulating you as the audience to like care about such a horrible person. And with that being said, um, it definitely went down as one of my favorite movies of that year. It's such a niche movie. Like not a lot of people have heard about it. And if I were to like categorize it to like my other favorite movies with like the same vibe, um, I would definitely have to say Whiplash. Um, uh, also bold. Oh, well, that makes sense. Uh, they, they really come out with some damn good movies. Uh, but yeah, it's maybe one of my favorite movies of all time is a little overstating it, but definitely of that year. What what did you think of that movie? Did it? Uh, how does it go down in your record book? Other movies that came out that year, because this was a particularly strong year: Grand Budapest Hotel, Gone Girl, Edge of Tomorrow, Whiplash, Interstellar, John Wick, Selma, A Most Violent Year, uh, The Guest, Kingsman, Chef. Calvary, which I love, you haven't watched. The Drop, Ex Machina, What We Do in the Shadows, uh, and The Imitation Game, which I, I actually really liked. I actually really liked it too. So um, back to what we were actually fucking talking about. I really like this movie, and it says a lot because like I was saying in the beginning, characters that are this socially awkward, it's really a lot of times like not my thing it's like hard for me to watch them but Hall's so amazing the story's so amazing the development of all the characters um i thought it was great and even listing off all those movies i just did one of the strongest of that year so definitely will be one that i watch in the future yeah i'm i'm glad i watched it again it's uh it's not as surprising and shocking 
the second time because obviously you know where the story is going but i think it gives you time to focus on other aspects of the story uh and you might catch things that you haven't uh you might have missed the first time i definitely did so yeah it's a it's a damn good movie for a damn good year well uh thanks for listening to another episode of i finally watched where i finally watched nightcrawler see you guys later